We are in a revolution. But it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. We cannot be stopped, we cannot be resisted. Good day to you growers, farmers, and ranchers. Today is a good day. We have another episode of Tractor Time. We're so happy to connect with you. Uh, And today, we're going to live where we are most comfortable. We're going to live under the soil. We're going to invite you to, you don't need a coat, we're going to invite you to imagine a world where you could peek under your crops and see and hear an entire universe of life. We want you to see under your plants, whether you've got them in a windowsill, flower pot, or you're growing them by the thousands of acres. And see not just Times Square, but Times Square times Times Square times Times Square, or something like that. It's lively. The cycle of life and the intelligence of nature down there at the root level is beautiful at work. So today, I'm joined by Laura Decker, the owner and operator of Microbiometer, Dr. James White, a professor of plant biology at Rutgers, and Jeff Lowenfels, the author of several books, including a new one, Teaming with Biology. Yeah, it's going to be a good talk. In our conversation, you're going to hear us establish why microbiology is an important topic for anybody who grows food, including farmers and ranchers, uh, no matter what scale you are. And then we're going to go deep into what we know, how nutrients are brought to the, cl- to the plants, excuse me, how water can be stored, how nature resists some technology we are trying to force into it today. We're going to go deep. In the end, you're going to hear Jeff Lowenfels compare mycorrhizal fungi to free love concept. We unofficially nominate Dr. James White for a Nobel Peace Prize and Laura Decker brings us into the future. First, we want to take a moment to hear from our sponsor, Microbiometer. Improving the health of your soil is essential to increasing your output, but how can you tell if you're making progress? Research shows that microbial biomass, fungi, and bacteria are the leading indicators of soil health. This is where Microbiometer comes in. Living soil fixes nutrients, improves plant immunity, stores water more efficiently, and builds soil structure. Therefore, a healthy level of microbes increases productivity while reducing inputs. There are more microbes in a handful of living soil than there are humans on the planet. We are now just starting to understand how vital the symbiosis is between plants and these microorganisms. Microbiometer is a low-cost, fast, on-site soil test for microbial biomass and fungal to bacterial ratio that allows you to quickly determine the health of your soil. You can order direct at microbiometer.com. That's microbiometer.com. Frequent retesting provides you with the data necessary to assess your soil management practice. Know you succeed, microbiometer.com. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, We appreciate you supporting Microbiometer. We appreciate their support of the show. Uh, Next, you're going to hear our interview with Lord Decker, Dr. James White, and Jeff Lowenfels. Uh, One quick reminder, Lowenfels is the author of the latest book, Teen with Bacteria. You can find it in all of his books at acresusa.com. Please shop with us and not Amazon. His entire collection is 30% off right now. Look for a link where you find this podcast for details on that. Again, thank you for being here. Next, you're going to hear the interview. Okay, we're ready to get started with uh, today's conversation. Uh, we're here to talk about biology, 
like we talked about in the pre-show. Uh, what we know today about biology in a crop system is gonna be important takeaway today. Uh, why you should be paying attention as a farmer or grower to that word and what it means in the marketplace uh, and in your crop systems. And we wanna talk about this booming part in the industry a little bit too about, uh, again, um, uh, you're gonna hear a lot about this. We really wanna educate our listeners about what they need to know and why they need to know it uh, because there's gonna be a lot of information from the segment coming at them and coming at them fast here uh, and already is uh, at that point. So uh, right off the bat, um, and I think we established a little bit already, but I wanted to, to talk about why uh, this is an important topic these days. So I wanted to start with Laura Decker, um, whose job it is to explain this to farmers and ranchers and uh, help introduce materials for measuring biology in the field to them. Uh, and Laura, if you don't mind starting, if I'm a farmer rancher, why am I listening right now? Oh, good. Well, thanks. Uh, my name is Laura Decker. I'm with the company Microbiometer. We make an in-field test for soil microbial biomass and fungal to bacteria ratio. So um, we developed this test because we saw a need in the market uh, and our founders were just crazy about microbes. And what we found is that since it's sort of a new test and uh, the emphasis on soil microbes and soil health is fairly new, most of what we do is talk to people about why they should care about soil microbes, right? And how they understand them because they're not that simple, um, which is clear um, because we have on here uh, a PhD um, and, and someone who's devoted their life to understanding soil health. So it is not an easy topic. Um, the reason we wanted to have this conversation is because the work that Dr. White is doing and Jeff Lowenfeld is, is doing is so important and really so cool. I mean, to really understand how plants, microbes, soil work together naturally to make healthy and resilient food, sequester carbon, right, is all really important. So um, when we talk to people about using the microbiometer to measure soil biology, <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of them want an answer, like, now what should I do? What's the answer? Is this good? Uh, and the answer is it's very, very complex. So um, the cool thing about this is to talk about how Jeff Lowenfeld's sort of uh, translated from Dr. White's very complex, very exciting scientific research on rhizophagy and the interplay between bacteria, fungi, and plants into a way that everybody can understand. So I don't have a PhD um, and I can read the book and sort of understand. And I think the important thing is the more we understand about how soil has worked for millions of years and the role of biology in agriculture and frankly in human health, um, the better we can be in terms of growing responsible food and taking care of our earth. So this is gonna be a neat conversation for me to listen to because it's a, it's a really interesting concept, but um, our kit is out there so people can start understanding their own soil biology. Um, and I wish I could tell everyone exactly after you take our test what to do, but I think we've learned from the hundreds of years of prescriptive agriculture that that is not a productive way to grow food um, and to live on this planet. So I'm going to turn it back to you, Ray. Hey, if I could just if, if I could just add one thing here, it seems to me that that generally, of course, the microbiology is important because it, it, it's how plants get their food, it's how they get their nutrients. Specifically with regard to what Dr. White has, has come up with, uh, we're talking about a potential way for plants to have nitrogen fixation internally just like rhizobia does when you, when you plant legumes. Uh, we've got a potential here now 
for uh, the ability to improve the way plants get their nitrogen in particular. And that means we can use less chemical nitrogen. And that means all the great things for the environment, for soil structure, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. That was Jeff uh, Lowenfels, who's, uh, you know, he, he cares so much about it. He just wrote a book about it. So, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty big effort and a pretty big haul. Uh, the book is Teaming with Bacteria. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a bit, too. Um, so, Jeff, thank you for that. Uh, Dr. White, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, how you fit into this equation and kind of what you're seeing as far as why farmers, you know, yes. Okay. Yes, I'm a, um, a professor at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And uh, uh, in my lab, and basically my whole career, I've studied microbial endophytes in plants. And so, uh, you know, this, uh, the, and I, and I should also mention uh, one of my, uh, more important roles is actually as a uh, uh, Jeff Lowenfeld's assistant, uh, <laughs> aide, aide, uh, or whis whisper. Maybe the Jeff Lowenfeld's whisper, you know, to, to help to help to convey the message uh, uh, to a wider audience about how uh, plants actually are using microbes to get nutrients and to. Uh, for their own development and uh, for their uh, to be hardier and so forth, uh, oxidative stress tolerance and all that. It all has to do with these microbes. And so uh, Jeff Jeff has in the book, Teeming with Bacteria, he has uh, really put all the bi background biology in a very user-friendly kind of a reachable way uh, in addition to the, the concepts of the rhizophagy cycle and endophytes and nitrogen fixation in plants, as Jeff mentioned, you know, so I'm, I'm a, I'm an old professor at Rutgers University, and, uh, and that's, that's what I am. I teach, and I do research, and I collaborate with, with others on, on the importance of these endophytes and how they work and uh, the specific ones, which ones can be used and so forth. Well, great. Ryan, if I, could, if I could just add a little bit to that, Ryan, I mean, Absolutely. back in 2006, the soil food, food web was introduced by, but really popularized by Dr. Elaine Engel. And, and it was a wonderful description. Basically, photosynthetic energy is used to produce exudates, which drip out of the root system that attract bacteria and fungi to the rhizosphere that area right up against the roots. They in turn are eaten by protozoa and nematodes who poop out the excess. And it turns out that, that it, the bacteria and fungi put this stuff in the right form for plants to take in. They put a charge on it. And so it's incredibly important that you treat the soil properly so that the microbes uh, can do what they are supposed to do to feed plants. And that was the soil food web that we all knew about. That was the soil food web we all started to learn. And it's still the basis of the soil food web, except we learn from Dr. White and from uh, this wonderful woman in uh, Australia whose last name is Longheim, I believe. I can't pronounce her. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Pong Fu. And it's a hyphenated last name, right? Ch yeah. Chani. Pong Fu, and there's a lab there. There's also at, at Queens in Queensland, Australia. Uh, I forget the other uh, Dr. Schmidt, Suzanne Schmidt, I think, is the other 
yeah. the lab leader, I think, right? That sounds right, Jeff, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So, and, they did, and, and what they discovered was that yeah. some of these bacteria, which in the uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham, what I call the farming system, you know, yeah. the plant puts out these yeah. exudates and tracks these yeah. things, farms them, and then takes in the nutrients. You know, I guess other people call it uh, soil mediated, you know, but it's farming. And, and, yeah. and so they discovered that some of these bacteria are not eaten by, by fungi, by uh, nematodes and protozoa, but are in fact induced by the plant to enter into the meristem root cells, the very thin-walled young brand new cells at the tip of the, of the plant. And they, they enter that, uh, uh, and this is the beginning of the rhizophagy cycle. And it's an unbelievable addition to the soil food web picture because what happens, and I'll just really briefly talk about it and then I'm sure we're gonna get in much more detail. They go in, uh, they are uh, uh, sprayed by the plant to remove their uh, uh, cell walls. That material is absorbed by the plant as nutrients. The uh, wallless bacteria are circulated around as they're producing ethylene. They get trapped by the chemistry between uh, trying to protect themselves. They produce nitrites, which get converted to nitrates, and up to 30% in some studies, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Dr. White, That's of correct. the nitrogen of a plant is fixed inside these cells. Whoa. And then they continue to circulate. They continue to multiply every 20 minutes. They get so plentiful that the ethylene that they produce causes root hairs to form and they are ejected out of the cell back into the soil where they regenerate their cell walls, re-nutrify, and then a couple of days later, take the trip again. Whoa! Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, so that, so that, what that means is, let me just... Jeff, I apologize. We, I do want to get in that in detail. I just don't want to jump ahead right now because... Okay, yeah. I still want to be so in that means they're... they're still right. to be, hold, on, hold on, Jeff. I, I still want to be in 2006 for, for a while because <laughs> sure. that's important context. Um, and I want to right. make sure we don't skip too far forward. The, uh, right. uh, so 2006, um, we had a much different ag industry at the time. I mean, organics were still really new at the time, right? And uh, Elaine Ingham was uh, out, you mentioned that that voice out there. Uh, she got booed out of our conference uh, in the early, you know, in the late 90s by just talking that. about biology in front of an Albrecht crowd, right? And so in front of a, a crowd that really believed in chemistry first, and then whatever happened after that was the wonders of chemistry uh, making it happen. Uh, we've learned so much since then. So I wanted to make sure we had that context especially under the guise of farmers have come a long way. And again, we're throwing one more thing at them, right? That, we, that we're trying to get them to, to learn. So I wanted to make sure we, we slow down just a little bit and really explain this stuff. Um, and so if you repeat yourself, that's okay. But you know, let's talk about the progress we've made, if you don't mind, from sure. 2006 to where we are, what we've really learned, if you don't mind hitting on those right. points. Yeah, sure. Well, in 2006, of course, and, and, and Dr. Elaine, you know, I remember those days and, and uh, you know, she's the guru of the soil food web. Today, there isn't a garden writer in the United States who doesn't write about the soil food web as opposed to chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. All of the lectures at Acres are, you know, biologically oriented. So she, she was correct. And, and everybody at Acres who was there then in Booter should be apologizing. But we then learned that, that mycorrhizal fungi were really much more important than we gave them credit for. Uh, the, the, the ability to be able to 
manufacture in the lab eight or nine or 10 of these uh, was really quite something. And, and so they became the next adjunct addition to the soil food web. And they became really an, uh, an important thing. And you were able to go out and suddenly buy mycorrhizal fungi, which you could use, or you could learn to use your own soil uh, for, with plants that you grew and try to, try to get the mycorrhizal spores and, and, and duplicate. So we, you know, we became familiar with mycorrhizal fungi. Rhizobia had always been there. I don't think people uh, attributed enough to the soil food web, but it's clearly part of the soil food web. Um, but then along comes this discovery in 2010, and it's, a, and it's a real shaker. And it's not that Dr. Elaine Ingham wasn't capable uh, and didn't believe in this stuff. She couldn't see it. She didn't have the, the, the same kind of microscopy uh, that, that is available to, to Dr. James White and others. And so it's really quite something. And the, and the photography and the ability to be able to depict what's going on has advanced exponentially from 2006 to, to today. And the photographs are unbelievable where you see things that you, you know, you go back and you, you remember looking at root hairs. They never had bacteria in them as far as I knew. Now we've got pictures. Dr. James has some of these pictures of tomato roots with just the most incredible uh, bacteria is just lined up. It's unbelievable. Well, so, let me tell so, you what we did, Jeff. Let me tell you what we did. Yeah. We, we actually, you know, here's the, here's the thing that is a, an issue and why uh, Elaine or anyone else, why many other people haven't seen it, uh, these bacteria inside the plant cells. And the, the reason is because it's a mental block, right? It's a mental block because everybody knows that plant cells don't internalize bacteria. We know that, we already know that. And so it, it's a, if you see something in there, you say, oh, that must be a mitochondrion or, oh, that must be a chloroplast or that must be a starch grain or something like that, right? It, it really wasn't until the, the uh, Australians started to look at, started to label their microbes and then feed it to plants that they saw it with their label. And then we were using, we actually invented some reactive oxygen stains, uh, some special stains that we could then put on the plants. And then, then because there is this interaction between the bacteria and the plant cell, then we could see the bacteria in there because of this, these, react, these special stains that we developed, reactive oxygen stains. And it's those same stains that we use to figure out the the in, the biology and the interactions really of between the microbes and the plants. So it's a it's it's this phenomenon where you, something is invisible to people until they first see it. We see it all the time. I teach mycology classes at Rutgers, and uh, I frequently have to when students get started, I have to take them out into the woods to show them what fungi look like because they really don't even know what they look like. And then when they see it the first time, they can find them faster than I can. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that thing. You know, you don't even see it. It's invisible until you see it the first time. It's a very common phenomenon. Yeah. And, and exasperate. Yeah, and here it's because it's so small. Oh my God. Yeah, There's oh, a, yeah. They, they just awarded uh, 10 pictures of the great photography. You know, people can Google this. 
they have a picture of uh, one cell of your tongue surrounded by a bacterial slime. Uh, it's so much better than the pictures that you can look up where there's the bacteria on the head of a pin, uh, which I couldn't use in the book because they cost too much to buy, buy. But this new one is unbelievable. They're so small that we're not used to it. We as human beings, you know, uh, we've talked about this before. We talk about dinosaurs and kids learn about dinosaurs, which are useless uh, when, when, when you, they don't even consider bacteria or fungi, these unbelievable things that impact every farmer. Uh, all the food we eat, et cetera, et cetera. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to add to what uh, James said, which is that, that as, as farmers, and, I, and we call them in our company farmer researchers, right? Because a lot of the farmers are the ones out there discovering, um, maybe they don't have the microscopes to see rhizophagy, but they understand that if they do certain practices and build soil health, that right. their plants get better. But what's interesting, um, and Elaine Ingham is one of the early pioneers, and, and I'm glad she's still around getting cheered instead of booed after all this time, is that um, we're building on all of that knowledge, right? And we're the farmers are the ones that are applying it in the field. Um, and as sad as, as the state of, of the fertilizer market is this year, I think it's putting some economic pressure where before we had consumer and sort of, uh, moral pressure to decrease fertilizers. Now we have a real economic pressure to say, okay, now let's, we sort of vaguely understand how important it is for those people who really want to dig deep and learn about rhizophagy and bacteria. The book is a terrific way to do it, but really the concepts are the same, which is microbes use the soil and the plants to feed and to build immunity. They build immunity in those plants we then eat those plants, they help us with our own immunity. Um, and so uh, I think it's just really a, a neat way to sort of say we're building our knowledge base, but also the applicability of which biostimulants work in the soil, which products help us rebuild those microbial communities. Because you can't just decide one day, oh, I'm not gonna use nitrogen fertilizer because I read this book and they said, fungi will do it for me, you know? Uh, that's not true. You have to rebuild all the conditions that will enable microbes to live in your soil. And that's incredibly difficult. So, um, you know, we sort of put out this content to help growers um, better understand it so that they can experiment on their soil. That, that's a really good point about the experimenters, you know, growers. Uh, and, and, and this is why one reason why Jeff's book is so good, because they can get the biology there and then they can go in and do the the regenerative agriculture experiments that it takes to kind of build up the soils, you know, and get the get the microbiometer soil test and use that as a tool to to help them to to regenerate healthy soils. And I, I, at the at the last acres conference which was my first acres conference to attend. Uh, uh, actually, there was uh, some people who talked about rebuilding their soil and, uh, and uh, there's a, a it, it, it only took, uh, I think uh, three or uh, just a few years uh, over, you know, I mean, it wasn't, some people say it takes 10 years to do or seven years to do, but somebody was talking about being able to do it in three or four years, you know, so it, uh, if you work at it, you can actually rebuild rebuild these soils. And if you realize you need to do it, 
And the fact that plants actually cultivate these microbes in the soil and need these microbes, you know, I mean, if you want to support the plant, if you want to grow plants in the most natural way, then you want to support the process, the natural process in plants, which involves these microbes and and uh, in, in a, which enables the, the plants actually to then farm the microbes in the soil. If you try to put, if you try to grow uh, crops with just chemistry, uh, you, you're going to have a problem because uh, for for one thing, for one thing, plants are not going to be, they're not going to have their microbes for the most part. You usually, uh, you know, if you put fertilizers into soil, uh, uh, plants won't, they won't actually use these microbes. They won't need them because you're feeding them with, with chemistry. And uh, uh, that makes plants lazy in a sense. And what happens to the plants when they get those new, just those chemical nutrients is they, they, yeah, they can grow. You can juice them and make them grow, but they don't get all the micronutrients that they would get if they were they were internalizing, if they were farming microbes and getting them. So they don't get all the nutrients, which are good for people. And also because they don't have the microbes inside their tissues, they're not interacting with those microbes oxidatively. And uh, that means they're not gonna be oxidatively tolerant. So they won't have antioxidants and they won't have other chemicals in them that make them hardy and also that make them healthy, right? So you're healthier and this is the connection. And this is a little bit, a little bit, maybe it seemed a little bit of reach for some people, but there is a connection between soil health and plant health and people health. And it, it, there is that connection and it, and it has to do well, it has to do with the microbes, basically. Yeah. Right. And, and we got we have to learn this stuff quickly because we're told we have 60, 61 years left of this of, of harvest because our soil is disappearing so fast. To go back to the to the question of research, one of the nice things about what what is out there uh, is that there's just enough so that people can grab little pieces of, of this microbial uh, problem and try to solve their individual problems and then publish their results. So for example, the bacterial mix in vermicompost versus thermal compost, there's different kinds of bacteria. So in theory, thermal compost will work better on some plants and vermicompost will work better on other plants. Which ones? We don't know yet, but there are gardeners and farmers and cannabis growers who are doing these experiments or will be doing these experiments once they understand the recipe cycle. Uh, and, and it's so important that we, that we let this loose. And, and one of the reasons why, why the book I think is so important is because it gives people the tools to start thinking this way, including, people like like uh, Laura who are developing new instrumentation. We have a database that can tell us all the DNA of all the microbes. Uh, you know, we can send it in and spend thousands of dollars and maybe, you know, me as a farmer or a gardener, I'm not going to do that. But in five or 10 years, we're going to have an app on our cell phone that's going to enable us to do some of these things. So we need to know, uh, we need to know the science so that we know what to do. But the science has to be out there so that people can develop these things. And, and what I was so shocked about when I met Dr. James was that 
I'd never heard of rise of fascism. Nobody had ever heard of it. Still to this day, the people that are listening to this podcast are in the smallest of minorities. We need to spread the word. This is an incredibly important addition to that 2006 model of the soil improvement. Well, let's let's talk about that real quick and make sure we haven't missed an opportunity. Uh, you know, we talked about that when we were before we started recording, right? That even uh, the word can be pronounced differently. Uh, here than in Australia overall. So let's, uh, and we do have some listeners, uh, quite a few listeners there. So we do want to recognize them and they might be going, well, they're saying that word wrong. So let's talk about that <laughs> from, from the basics, uh, you know, really about, you know, what are we talking about? If you guys don't mind really explaining that, how is it connected to the plant? And, uh, uh, and uh, what would a farmer, where would a farmer find it and see it? And what would they be looking for if they were, if they, if they were looking at it? Jeff, you want me to try it? Let me, yeah. let me go. Okay, let me let me try. I'll try in a nutshell. You did a great job yeah. a couple of minutes ago. So I'm going to try to recap it in a slightly different way. Okay, so uh, rhizophagy, rhizophagy, some people pronounce it rhizophagy. Jeff and I pronounce it as rhizophagy. You know, this is kind of an American way to pronounce it, but 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 it doesn't matter. Tomato, tomato, right? Either way. It means basically rhizo having to be do with root, root, uh, uh, and uh, uh, phagy or phagy having to do with eating. A phage is a is a of a, a phage phagocytosis is cell eating, right? So phagy is eating. Uh, so rhizophagy is root eating, and basically it's the concept that roots uh, are are absorbing microbes into their roots, into their cells, into the root cells at the root tips. And then they extract nutrients from those microbes, those mostly bacteria, but also yeasts in some cases, but mostly bacteria, uh, hence the title of Jeff's book, Teeming with Bacteria. Uh, mostly bacteria go in and then the plant will, uh, once they're in the cell, it will then hit them or uh, put reactive oxygen, superoxide. Superoxide is what it is, a molecule that is highly potent form of reactive oxygen. And that reactive oxygen basically digests these microbes. It will, it will, it will, at least part of the microbes are digested. What it does, the superoxide will knock the cell walls off of the bacteria. And, and then uh, those cell walls, the contents of those cell walls, which contains nitrogen and also metals are hanging on, can be absorbed directly into the root cells. And so this is, and, and then surviving bacteria actually will trigger root hair development. And if we remove all the bacteria off of a plant, you don't get any root hairs forming because those bacteria have to be inside those root cells in order to trigger root hair elongation. And then when those root hairs are, are elongating, uh, the bacteria are shot back out of the back out into the soil. And J Jeff mentioned there's this interaction with ethylene and stuff. So this, these, these are hormones, right? So the microbe in the plant is interacting with these hormones, ethylene. And uh, so anyways, the, the bacteria will secrete ethylene that causes the root hair to elongate just slightly. And when it elongates, it shoots the bacteria back out into the soil. Some bacteria remain in the root hair, and and then and then they will replicate in the hair, and then they'll accumulate the tip again, and then in mass they'll secrete ethylene, and then they'll eject again, and there will be a slight growth in that hair again, and then it ejects the 
back here, back to the soul. And so it keeps going like this constantly. The growth spurts ejecting bacteria back to the soil. And then those microbes that are ejected uh, can go get new nutrients. And then they're attracted back to the root tip because the root tip produces these exudates. So the plant is actually putting these exudates out into the soil to attract these bacteria to it. So the plant is really, uh, they're putting sugars and the exudates have sugars and organic acids and stuff you may have heard. The plant is really farming these microbes. Farming, I say farming, Jeff says ranching, ranching. And I like that ranching because it's like the sheep shearing, you know, the sheep, the plant puts them out, they, they get their wool, right? They call them back to the barn at the root tip. And then they take them in, suck them into the root cells at that tip, and then shear the wool off of those bacteria, take the cell walls off the bacteria, and then take those nutrients out of the bacteria, out of those cell walls. It's really cool. There's also some nutrients that come out of the bacteria themselves, because some of the bacteria get fully degraded. And uh, what nutrients? There's protein there. There's uh, phosphorus, you know, the 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 uh, the soil food web is all valid. It's all valid. And this part is an addition to it. And uh, the nutrients here involve proteins and phosphorus. A lot of the other nutrients are the micronutrients, the metals, those divalent metals. Those are big in terms of rhizophagy cycle. It may be maybe the most important contribution in the rhizophagy cycle is taking those micronutrients because they're things like manganese and magnesium and iron. They're very important for plant growth. Without them, plants really can't. They really can't. They can't do photosynthesis and they can't do uh, other kinds of metabolism. So uh, rhizophagy cycle may be really important for those micronutrients. Yeah, and again, as 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 some of the papers indicate, the, there's a significant amount of nitrogen that this produces, and so you know, oh, yeah. 20, 30 percent is is nothing to, to to snap at. You know, I, I I didn't do it in the book, but I since I've talked to several people on these kinds of podcasts, etc., I, I, this occurs in these meristem cells, and I, and this is my way of of picturing them. You know, I, I wrote the book because. I think this is incredibly important stuff. I couldn't understand why, uh, you know, Dr. James White wasn't the most famous soil uh, mycologist <laughs> in the world, and, and so I had to I, I had to dumb it down <laughs> so that I could understand it. And here's how I dumbed down how this all works: If you picture a tofu carton, the white outside, you know, the tofu carton has got the white outside plastic. It's got a plastic cover. There's a, a water in the inside, and then there's the blob of tofu. So what you've got is the cell wall of the meristem is the white plastic or that plastic up on the top. This all takes place, all this rhizophagy takes place in the, in the periplasmic space, which is represented by that water area. It's not inside the cytoplasma holding you know, membrane, it's on the outside. And so, so uh, the, the, the spray that takes place comes from the, the, the membrane that's attached to that white tofu and goes out into the water area. That's, you know, and that's where the bacteria are and they're circulated around that. They never go in, or at least 
in the rhizophasic cycle, we don't we don't view them as going into the actual organelle area, the cytoplasm area, even though they're definitely in there. Uh, so that's that's the way to look at it. So 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 Jeff, the only the only thing is we did some recent uh, ultrastructure using a transmission electron microscope, and it looks like in some cases they can actually pass. It looks like they go, they may be. They, they're circulated around the cell, like you said, right? Yeah. But it looks like in some instances, they actually go in the cytoplasm. And so we have some images that show bacteria in the cytoplasm itself, but it seems like they can go back and forth. Like for example, in the root hair, uh, you have them, it looks like they're going in the cytoplasm along the sides, at least some of it pressed in the cytoplasm, some of it pressed in the cytoplasm, and then they come out at the tip, right? So there's some kind of a hmm. movement between the cytoplasm and the and the outside and the and the periplasmic space. So they're not only, I mean mostly periplasmic space, that's definitely what we thought, but the recent photographs of transmission electron microscopy suggest that they can actually go inside. Uh, how they get inside, maybe the plant is pulling them in. We're not sure exactly how that's happening. Laura, you had your, yeah, what, was you, what were you thinking? Well, I, I want to say two things. One, uh, Jeff, if, if you had been at the Acres Conference, you would have known that um, Dr. White was the Taylor Swift of the Acres Conference. He was mobbed for hours <laughs> afterwards. And even I got a selfie with him. So he, he's getting there. <laughs> Good, good. Um, not enough. Not enough. Not a, I mean, no, 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 not enough. Not enough. But I, I well, think he was a little taken aback by uh, by how excited people were. And the interesting thing about the Acres Conference, of course, was that there's these are growers. This is not an academic conference, right? We're not at the at right, the right. at the ASA or anything like that. But one thing, and I wanted to hear from each of you separately, is you know, especially because we talk to growers and we give them information about their total microbial counts and they go, okay, now what should I do, right? I understand the interplay between bacteria and and fungi. I And I think rhizophagy is the coolest thing in the world. Um, what can I do to sort of promote it? Because there's lots of products out there. A lot of them are very, very good. Um, it's clear that not every soil needs the same thing is is there anything that you've seen in your research and dr white maybe you speak that sort of says where people should start you know yeah. because it it's hard i you know i know at acres we heard um ryan who was it who spoke about you know converting in three to five years um their their farm that was rick rick um, rick, rick it was rick it was rick what was his last name rick clark yeah rick clark, clark and rick clark, rick clark yeah. you know i mean save Save going as an unpaid intern to Rick Clark's farm for a couple of years to learn how. Um, is there anything that you've sort of taken out of your research and Jeff out of your work that that uh, that growers can use to apply this knowledge to their growing? Shall I try first, Jeff? I'll try first. Okay. Yep. So so Jeff, the book actually is a nice first place to start because Jeff mentioned the teaming with bacteria because Jeff mentions. Uh, you know, use of, of endophyte products, use of microbial biostimulants. And so this is something that growers and gardeners can begin to experiment with. And that's really, that's really what this is. It's a call, the book, 
and the work that we're doing is a call to experimentation for people who are growing plants who want to try to do it a, a different way, a better way, a more, if I say it, a more natural way of agriculture, a cleaner way, and that is to use the microbes. So the biostimulant microbes, what these microbes like bacillus and things like that, what they do is they will go into the root at the root tip with bacteria, uh, especially if you have soils that are not rich, and then they'll enter into the rhizophagy cycle and they'll in a sense kickstart the rhizophagy cycle and so the plant will then start producing exudates and attracting more bacteria so these biostimulant microbes they some of them are better than others but most of them work and uh, they will uh, you know i mean you have to try for yourself to see to make sure that it, you see an impact you know you, nobody don't take anybody's word for it you know you always experiment in in the field to begin with Okay, that's so. That's one. Uh, that's one way that you could begin is by trying these biostimulant microbes. The other way is to try some of the other organismal uh, mixes, uh, uh, like for the ferments that people will sometimes make, or the the uh, uh, compost washes. You know, where you get a mix of microbes in there and nutrients, and and use those. Uh, and of course the the building of the soil is is building the soil up to to make a more regenerative a soil that has more organic matter in it and because there's more organic matter there you'll get more microbes growing there what what'll happen with the organic matter is uh bacteria will go directly on that but you also have fungi that grow on that and then there is this interaction and this is oftentimes not understood the interaction between the bacteria and the fungi Without the bacteria present, fungi, many of the fungi are pathogens and cause disease. But if you have a good, healthy soil with a good mix of bacteria and fungi, you have less disease or no disease. Because what these bacteria will do is they will actually go into the hyphae, on the surface of the hyphae, and, and in many cases actually internalize into the hyphae themselves. And when they do that, the 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 fungi no longer are pathogens. They they show highly reduced uh, virulence. So there's no disease then that happens. In fact, some of the fungi with the bacteria will grow on the plant and cause no disease at all. So uh, so that's my Jeff. You want to see if you can add on? Yeah, to that I mean, the, that uh, I think the yeah, I think we we've got to point out first of all that that not all the same bacteria. It's not quite like mycorrhizal fungi which sleep around. So that you know, we've only a mycorrhizal fungi will will associate with lots of different kinds of plants, whereas the bacteria seem to be a little bit more selective. I would I, I think, and so some plants they will not work with, and some plants they will with the same bacteria. You have to find the right bacteria. So the experimentation is very important. Currently on the market, and farmers use these things, and now cannabis growers are getting their hands on them and they're doing the experimentations. Uh, um, you know, you have the bacillus that you've mentioned. Uh, there's the uh, pseudomonas, azoxarillium. Uh, yes, there's a yes, number, yes. A, a number of things. And so, if you go to a grow store, you can start talking to the people. You can actually buy some of these things. The problem is the shelf life. You've got to have either a spore or a freeze dried, you know, it's formulation. And so, not everything is capable, and and that's what's going to be happening. And it, it's worth pointing out that this is such a hot subject 
and, and whether they call it rhizophagy or not, they're dealing with nitrogen fixation inside a plant. So it is rhizophagy. All of the chemical fertilizer companies, you know, the Monsantos of the world, if I can use that word, uh, are researching this stuff like crazy. We may actually end up with a convergence between those of us who are acres type people who don't, you know, don't believe in using lots of heavy chemicals uh, and the chemical industry is unbelievable. It could be happening, but it's rhizophagy, even though they don't know it yet. Uh, and, and we'll know we're successful getting Dr. James White and, and Pu Jong Longheim, uh, you know, and Susan. We know that, that we'll be successful when these companies start using the word rhizophagy and they will, it's coming. They're, and they're starting already. Dr. Dr. White, if you don't mind me interjecting uh, first, just say yeah. I wanted yeah. to uh, put, uh, hammer, hammer a point you guys were both talking about and make sure we we, we talked about this element. Um, and yeah, in a yeah. side, sidebar, I was at an investment event last week and one of the uh, farmers was asked uh, what their ideal uh, uh, loan officer looked like. And it was a soil scientist that won the lottery. And so I think we just need to start buying <laughs> Dr. James White some lottery tickets, you know, and we can uh, we could probably change the industry overnight. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, to get to my question, um, water, you know, is one of the things I really wanted to talk about. Make sure when we talked about biological systems and what's happening, especially out here in the West, we're based in Colorado. Uh, when we were working with the state here on uh, where the, the official educator for the state of Colorado around soil health and their STAR program, and we were looking for metrics to measure, um, the C word came up early, carbon, right? And that was the one that like uh, we really resisted because you guys know, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but we know water retention really became the metric that all of a sudden politicians were listening to, state universities were listening to, uh, water managers wanted to start it, national resource managers wanted to start getting involved with this. And then that became just, and it, it's also a measurable uh, metric that we can actually measure in the soil and track. So I wanted to talk a little bit about both measuring biology, but also uh, the water retention aspect of, uh, of biology and kind of how, what is the biology doing to help store water for farmers? Let me take a quick hit in this and then the, the, the people who really know can, can jump on. There's a microscopic layer of water that, that in good soil is there, uh, even in deserts. What, what is important with regard to the biology is that it's the biology that creates the soil structure, which creates a situation where you can conserve and hold water in the soil. So the bacteria in particular create a slime, that slime sticks together individual molecules of soil, uh, and these are not flat bricks so that there are air spaces and there are pores and that, that you know, holds air and water, acts as reservoirs, uh, and then the fungi come and weave these together even more. The mycorrhizal fungi go out and find water and bring it back to the plant because they need water themselves. Uh, and, and so the biology is all important. We can't make the water come out of nowhere, but we can try to retain as much as possible. And if you've got good biology, you are retaining as much as you possibly can. This system is the system that plants have survived with throughout the eons of droughts that we've had. Uh, and, and we come along with chemicals and we destroy that system, the fungal and the bacteria part of it at least, not to mention the earthworms, et cetera, et cetera, that also create reservoir spaces and bring organics in that hold water, blah, blah, blah. So this is all important to the, to the retention of water 
chemicals are the antithesis of retention of water. So I'll just add one piece to two two little tiny items. The the uh, I mean you can see that everything Jeff said is I mean uh, you know take that for for granted here, uh, but what you also have is uh, right around the root itself when you have lots of biology there you have a, a, a moist zone. And sometimes, you know, so there's a soil moisture zone that's where the plant is feeding those microbes. And so that creates this buffer out there to the more drier areas away from the plant, right? When you don't have the biology there, what you have is, uh, when those microbes aren't there around the root, what you have is just a root that goes down, no moist area around the root, and the, and the soil will dry out and the root will dry out. So it, it makes a huge difference there having a, just this other, this living zone around roots is a moist zone. It's really, really interesting to see that. Even in deserts, we can see that. You can pull some, uh, pull some soil out of a desert, desert uh, pull a plant out of a desert soil and you'll see a column of, of uh, microbes of sand that hanging on it where the microbes are in there mixed in there you know i mean it makes a huge difference in terms of plants uh, in terms and of it's, and, moisture and, and it's the plant that does it that's it's the, the amazing plant, thing it's the plant, plant is that in does charge it. they're in charge yeah. they do it they do it and the other uh, the other two other things one other thing is that uh in uh in ancient times the first plants had these microbes in them. So this is something, you know, the first plants that were on earth, the very, the mosses and the, the most the simplest plants had microbes in them. So this is something that comes with plant plants that they, it's not something that's only in some plants. All plants show this at some part in their life cycle. And uh, uh, see that, Oh, the other issue, the other issue is one more quick thing. Because the microbes in are in the plant and they're oxid oxidatively interacting with the plant, uh, then the plant is tougher and it can, it's oxidatively stress tolerant. It, it's hardier. It can stand the dryness, the periodic dryness that might happen to it. It's a tougher plant. It's a more oxidatively resistant, hardier plant. With absolutely. The absolutely thank you uh, uh for that and, and uh, uh i just gotta take a quick second and remind people they're listening to tractor time i forgot to do that earlier we got so excited so um i just wanted to remind people that uh laura i wanted to get to you uh so, so you had something yeah thanks yeah well i just wanted to talk about water because water is gonna you know is one of those issues one and jeff was talking about it but what he was just uh, just to put the word around it um it's that microbes uh and form soil aggregates right which is the the sticky substance that they create to make little homes for themselves that hold both oxygen and water, right? So what conventional agriculture did was till and irrigate, right? Whereas microbes make these much smaller little homes that essentially aerate and hold water for the plants. And the other thing is, this is the reason why, you know, <clears throat> regenerative agriculture beats the drum of no bare soil, right? that you always have something growing. You have cover crops because what, what James just said, around those roots in healthy soil, soil aggregates are rebuilding structure, they're holding moisture, okay? And they're keeping the soil naturally sort of 
more moist than it can, and also fighting erosion, right? So it's it's sort of interesting that you can sort of replace the, you can't replace, but you can mitigate the use of irrigation and plowing by, you know, using teeny tiny billions of microscopic bacteria to do it for you. Brian, uh, you know, one of the things that, the, uh, the, that we haven't talked about is where these bacteria come from. And the importance of maintaining those bacteria for future plants. Uh, and so you can see, again, one reason why you don't want to use chemicals is because they're important. They, they end up in the seed coat, right, Dr. Mm -hmm. James? And, and well, sometimes they jump uh, off the seed. some of them go in the embryo. So some are on yeah, the or seed in the embryo. coat, right? And they go actually in this, in the seed in, in a layer called the nucellus right around the embryo. The, the most, the, most uh, uh, the ones that are most adapted are actually inside the seed. So you have on the surface and you have inside and you also have coming from the soil, just fishing them out of the soil. So you have all of those sources, right? And you have, if you can mess up, and I think this is where you're going, Jeff. If you mess up your seed, if you sterilize your seed or you get old seed, those microbes grow or die in the seed and then the seeds don't grow well and they'll be susceptible to disease and all kinds of stuff. So you never want to sterilize your seeds. Never want right. to sterilize. And you don't want to keep them airtight either because uh, they need oxygen in order for things yeah. to live. Yeah, oh yeah. So, so we've been told for all these years, you, you know, put put stuff in the airtight container, blah, blah, blah. You, you also want to maybe reuse the soil because these bacteria jump off of that seed and get back in the soil. Uh, and, and that soil, particularly if you're container gardening, my goodness gracious, that soil's got a head start. It's got some of the bacteria in it. Uh, not that you don't want to continue to use seeds. I, you know, people use clones. Uh, I think seeds are much better for the reason that we, we've talked about, not that the clones don't contain bacteria, but you want to be absolutely certain you use the seed and it's got the right bacteria. And these bacteria go specifically with the type of plant and the, and the, the, the kind of plant as well as the uh, cultivar of the plant. So it's, it's really important stuff. Yeah, and the, yeah. Plant, the plant will pick the microbes. And I, and I want to, if it's okay, I want to say one more point that's interesting. It has to do with Jeff's point. Uh, of uh, of using biostimulant microbes, and and that is that the, this is not something that we modern people invented. By the way, the Iroquois uh, in indigenous in America grew corn, and they had something called the Iroquois corn medicine that was really neat. They would take their corn kernels that they had you know had dried in a uh, in a dry area or something like that, and they took their seeds, their corn kernels, and then they would they would uh, uh, set those aside. They'd go out into the woodlands and get wild grasses and bring those wild grasses back, and then put the roots in water, and then damage the roots so that the microbes would go off of those roots and out of those roots into the water. And in some cases, they would warm that up as well, which would activate some of the endospores and stuff that were on the roots. And then they would uh, take their corn kernels and they would germinate them slightly in this water, in this root water, wild plant root water. And, and then they would take, when they germinated them just a tiny bit, 
would of the root would come out enough to colonize bacteria from these wild plants, then they would take those and plant those in the fields. So this was what this is what the indigenous Americans were doing when they grew corn. You know, so they were using. Uh, I mean, we know, of course, they use little fish and stuff like that that they put around them, according to the you know the stories about the Indians and the pil and the pilgrims. Uh, but uh, you know, that was this was a biological way of farming, and uh, you know, this is kind of where we're heading back to. Uh, we know a little bit more about it. The Iroquois, the Iroquois corn medicine, they thought was magic, right? But I mean, we know it has to do with microbes. And they were, they were feeding hundreds of thousands, right? You know, with that system overall, it was it was incredible what they were able to feed. So I know I, I gosh, we could go on all day. So I wanted to start to walk toward our final question, but uh, Laura, I didn't want to cut you off. Uh, did you want to add something to that? Well, I want to ask you a question that that maybe maybe it's not relevant from here, so I cut it. Um, but one, um, you know, a lot of times people talk about adding microbes, um, and so when we've talk to farmers and growers who use a microbiometer, a lot of them get a lot more advantage just by adding microbial food. And sort of our feeling just from the general knowledge is literally microbes are everywhere, right? It's not that you don't have microbes. Even if you sterilize the soil, you put it outside for a day or two, you're gonna have microbes in it, right? They're around. So it's not necessarily that you need to add microbes, although there are some very important microbes that can be added, but really you may need to make the conditions good so that naturally the microbes can reproduce. The other thing, and I just wanna make sure that that's, that's sort of an okay, vague understanding of it. The other thing is that there's been some evidence in some research that, that the <clears throat> sort of designer seeds and crops that have been you know, developed by Bayer and the companies as they go, are less effective in a soil microbial natural community because they have been essentially engineered to work with chemical fertilizers. And so that's why a lot of people have gone back to heirlooms. And I just want to see if James or Jeff have any input into that, or if that's just sort of too speculative at this point. I don't wanna knock sort of all, <laughs> all big ag, but, um, you know, for people who are saying I'm going to do all these regenerative practices, but I'm going to use these seeds that were designed not for the natural environment, is there a mismatch there and what can be done about it? Let me let me let me have James answer that, but let me throw him in this direction. I, I think Dr. Johnson, you know, the, the concept of the corn 400 years old, et cetera, you, if you could go into that a little bit, that's I think that's the answer. You know, the, uh, the, the, yeah. if you take a 400 year old corn seed, the bacteria today, you know, on the same kind of seed should be the same, or the, at least when the plant starts to grow. Well, uh, it, it, it should be, it should be, but I, but I think we've, um, you, you know, people are really smart, but we don't know everything. And uh, one of our techniques that we use is tissue culture. And so we make hybrid corn, oftentimes there we need to go through a tissue culture phase. If there's any genetic engineering, it's tissue cultured. What happens in tissue culture is you, you kill the microbes, they kill the microbes. And so when we look at, uh, we do a lot of tissue culture here too at Rutgers, right? And so when we look at any of these tissue cultured plants, they are, uh, they don't have very many microbes. They are, uh, and I love the word depauperate of microbes, right? They're depauperate of microbes. They don't have many mm. microbes there. Uh, and uh, they uh, they also because of that they also are highly dependent on 
on uh, fertilizers because they lose those microbes. Now, it is very likely that we could take those plants, put them in a very healthy soil, a regenerative soil, grow them for a couple of years, and they'll get those microbes back, right? Grow them for a few years, they'll get the microbes back. That's that's expected. Uh, but uh, many of our modern like corn varieties are really, they really are dependent on fertilizers and uh, chemical fertilizers because of a couple of reasons, because we've some of them have gone through tissue culture, where some of the old ones haven't, right? Some of the old ones from the heirloom ones haven't, so people grab those and work on those. Uh, and uh, uh, the, you know, so that's the, it's the, uh, anyways, uh, there, there, I do, and I'm going to throw a shout out to uh, Walter Goldstein, Mandaman Institute, who's an organic corn breeder. And that's uh, the guy. He's the guy, Walter Goldstein in Wisconsin. Uh, he is trying to get these land race corn, you know, that you have in like uh, uh, Mexico and Peru, South America. These And these are nitrogen fixing corn. So what he's trying to do, and we're trying to help him, we're working closely with him uh, to try to uh, help him move the bacteria from this nitrogen fixing corn into modern corn that can be grown organically. And uh, of course we're, we're doing it, uh, you know, to help him because it's also important for people to have this corn, but also to prove a point, right? That, that we can get these microbes and regenerate our varieties and, and produce cultivars that are high yielding, right? Cause that's gonna be important to high yielding and, and also don't require all those uh, chemical inputs that we that we put in. So I think I think that, uh, that this is in, and Jeff, I think you, uh, you alluded to this, this is the future. You know, I think this is going to be the future uh, of uh, I think, but it's going to be a biological future in agriculture in general in time, maybe not all, maybe not exclusively biology, but much more biology than we have now, you know, 90, 80, 70, 80, 90% uh, biological agriculture with, uh, with chemical agriculture being very, very uh, sparsely used or only in areas, only in areas where there's no fertility. Yeah, so, I, 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 yeah Dr. I didn't mean to cut you off. I wanted to capture that question though and, and make sure we got three answers behind it uh, because I think it's a really, really important question. So, um, and this will be the last question of the episode. I'm, I'm really lucky today to be joined by uh, Laura Decker with Microbiometer, uh, Dr. James White, a plant pathologist and teacher at Rutgers, uh, Jeff Lowenfels, the author of Teeming with Bacteria and several other books. Um, I'm a lucky guy. I get to ha have these conversations and, uh, and they pay me to do it. I can't believe it. So uh, again, thank you guys for being here today. I wanted to close uh, with that future point. So it was a great segue, Dr. White, to talk about, uh, and if we do it in a couple minutes, let's try to try to be uh, efficient with our time, but what uh, two two things we could hit? What should farmers be looking for out there, uh, or not? Uh, for example, where should or they shouldn't be looking for? Uh, but also, just on the research side, I'm really curious, Dr. White and Jeff as well. What are you excited about out there that's coming? Uh, Laura, do you want to start us? Actually, I want to end. I, I I don't I don't have anything to say about the future. I guess I what I want to say is that I think a lot of us focus on. Uh, sort of um, Western countries, uh, Northern countries, agriculture, which is very large scale. 
very industrialized. And I think that a lot of the change and a lot of the progress is gonna be made in countries like India, right? Where there's a lot of small hole farmers um, who have a little bit more of a socialized system so the government can move the dial a little bit more. And so I think when we talk about change and investment in agriculture, a lot of it is focused sadly on drones and satellites and you know cloud farms that do all this computation. But most of the, most of the soil on earth is farmed by smallhold farmers. So we really do need to do education outreach and learning of both what's going on in those countries with those people. Um, it's both a way to improve food security and also raise you know, millions and billions of people out of poverty. So I think agriculture, carbon markets, the move away from chemical fertilizers is really exciting for a lot of different ways in terms of both human health, um, human happiness in terms of financial security um, and uh, climate change. Great. Thanks, Laura. We'll circle back to you before we end. Uh, Dr. White, you want to tackle that one? Yeah, I'll say a couple of things about that. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm excited uh, uh, that uh, that this whole movement uh, of uh, uh, regenerative agriculture and biological agriculture is really, it's, you know, there are scientists involved with it, but this is really a bottom-up movement. And uh, people, people who just uh, feel like uh, there's got to be a better way. And uh, so they're looking, people are looking for it and they see the damage that we've do, done to the environment. And so this biology really is, is uh, is an answer, an important answer, and from from my from my point of view, I want to help support that, uh, in, encourage that, but I also want to do uh, in my lab the work that shows how the plants work with with the bacteria and also other organisms like fungi. How do they work? With the, how do the bacteria affect the fungi and affect disease and so forth? So it's all of those little pieces, understanding how it works and so forth. So the mechanisms really, and that's the big thing that, you know, that I'll be finishing my career out with, however long that is, is trying to understand it all. That would be the danger of you winning the lottery, I guess. We don't want that to happen too too fast. So yes. you know, I will make one more statement. Jeff Jeff said uh, in in the book he wrote a. Uh, that uh, 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 Chani, Pong Fu, and I deserve uh, uh, Nobel Prizes. So I was so excited because he wrote that, because it feels like almost I got a Nobel Prize just because he wrote that in his book, you know? So it was really well, good. You do, you, you, Thank you, you Jim. You, you do deserve it. You Thank deserve you. it. No question Thank about you. it. Uh, Thank what, you. what you've done for, yeah, it's an amazing thing. I mean, because, because what, what you've given us is the information so that we can develop the tools to get us off of this unsustainable system that we've got going on. We are not capable of producing soil using chemicals. We are not capable of growing food that's nutritious using chemicals. We are not really capable of, of creating a, a healthy system unless we start doing things with the microbes in a way that the rhizothesis cycle points us to. So, so now we've got the ability to produce nitrogen internally in plants that are not legumes. That is going to increase. More and more research is going to be going into that. We've got the ability now to 
produce endophytes that leave the plant and help the plant and then go back into the plant. Uh, we've talked in the past about, uh, you know, hopping off the plant, killing the weeds that would be competing with the plant and then getting back into the plant again, just in case any more weeds come by. All of these things are in development and they're gonna, it's, it's a revolution that's happening right now. Uh, and it's, it's trickling down to the, to the home grower. Uh, and it's, it's certainly, uh, it seems to me, gonna take acres in an entirely new direction and, and that's good. Not that Acres wasn't going in the right direction in the first place, but so much further down the road than back in 2006 when Dr. Elaine Ingham uh, really presented the soil food web in a way that people could understand. Great, great segue. And yeah, uh, uh, so I, I appreciate saying that. Yes, it's uh, certainly opened our eyes um, to really, uh, again, how incomplete we are. And I think the humbling part is, uh, we, we know there's probably still pieces that we're missing, you know, as fun as fundamental um, in the soil and in this network that we're we're still going to be discovering. And so, uh, I, again, I appreciate your time here today. I wanted to let Laura take us home, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, did what would you want to say? Oh, I, I just wanted to say thank you. I think this is really fun to have uh, James White and Jeff Lowenfeld on the show. Um, <clears throat> we, they were first brought together by uh, the founder of our company, Dr. Fitzpatrick, who had a podcast with them. Um, she passed away in June. She was also my mother. So um, it's really exciting to be continuing her work. Uh, I know she would have loved this conversation, probably would have taken it over more than uh, either Jeff or I would have. Um, but I just want to say thank you for Acres for letting us um, you know, brings people together in a way where we can talk to people, and Jeff in particular, to take the book and make a very difficult scientific concept really, really understandable and actionable to growers and soil stewards. So thank you to Acres. Um, and also, of course, going to pitch microbiometer, which is an on-site test for soil microbial biomass. Again, to learn more about everyone's soil in a way that's very approachable, very easy, uh, and very low-tech. So, um, we hope that we can do our little part in, in helping agriculture move uh, move to, to a more sustainable environment. So thank you. You're very welcome. And I think uh, for all the folks who are talking about transitioning or thinking about transitioning or improving their systems, that point Laura made is so important to know that the folks in our on the industry are waiting. Uh, they're established. These are research-based companies. Um, um, these aren't circus tents popped up overnight to help you guys. Uh, this is a lot of lifetimes spent developing what uh, we're talking about here. And I think this conversation really encapsulated uh, how much we know at this point, but also uh, how much work is going into this as well. So again, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, uh, thanks again. And uh, uh, I, to all our listeners, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to another episode of Acres USA's Tractor Time Podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, that was an interview with Laura Decker, Dr. James White, and Jeff Lowenfels. Uh, Lowenfels is the author of the latest book, Teeming with Bacteria. You can find it in all of his books at acresusa.com. His entire collection is 30% off right now, so look for a link where you find this podcast for details on that. You can also hear Dr. White at our EcoAg conference in Covington, Kentucky this December. Uh, you can learn more at ecoag.acresusa.com. You'll see Laura Decker there too. You'll see me there as well. So there's really no excuse for not coming. Um, anyway, special thanks to Microbiometry for sponsoring today's episode. Special thanks to the big team at Acres USA for all they do every day to support farmers and ranchers around the world with education. To all of you listening, thanks for joining us. Have a great day.